0: You are listening to Disrupt Development, the podcast that shares inspiring stories of disruptive thinkers and doers within sustainable development. In this episode, together with Jeroen Kelderhuis, we are going to talk about the unique role of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs in global development. Why the Netherlands is one of the largest donor countries, the relationship between the ministry and civil society organizations, the lessons learned from the biggest funding instruments of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and how we can be more flexible and agile in future partnerships.
1: We are very happy with the partners that have been chosen now to uh, partner with us. And we can always do better and also learn from mistakes. That's also how I want to work the coming years as a partner and not as um, enemies or anything. I mean, we are in this together and we are trying to achieve the same things. Sustainable development goals are our framework. Uh, human rights is, is the entry point. Uh, and I think we all share this together from our different roles. Sometimes we might clash that's fine, but uh, on the basis of respect and understanding of our different roles.
0: Jeroen Kelderhuis is the head of civil society and education at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands. The Netherlands, being one of the smallest countries in the world, is the seventh largest donor country globally. Jeroen Kelderhuis oversees the development assistance provided through civil society organizations. Prior, Jeroen worked as a diplomat in many places like Juba, Ankara, Erbil, Tunis, Bujumbara, and Tehran. Jeroen, happy to have you on the Job Development podcast. I have received many requests from listeners to invite someone from the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs to this podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for this opportunity. Excited about it.
0: uh, Thanks, Jeroen. Welcome. Um, So, Jeroen. You have worked as a diplomat in many places. You've worked in Juba, in Ankara, in Erbil, Tunis, Bujumbara, in Tehran, many places all around the world. Um, I've also read that you have been named the laptop diplomat. This made me very curious, but also I'm curious, how has diplomacy changed basically over the last few years?
1: Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, over the last 20 years working for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I've been mostly working abroad at embassies or at international organizations like the African Development Bank and um yeah been living the dream I wanted to have this job uh, since I was uh, i think fifteen and uh, I'm still very proud to 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 be able to do this and to to uh, to, to to do this job because it uh, it's a very exciting job um also being in The Hague now uh, after so many years um, it's also very good to see it from headquarters level um what has changed in diplomacy is um, uh, not so much the enthusiasm and the commitment of, of our colleagues, um, because that, that amazes me every day again, people working very hard, and from a very um, yeah, idealistic point of view also, they really want to make a difference. Um, but of course, the circumstances in what we do uh, worldwide, the circumstances in the world have changed rapidly, and are still changing rapidly, and that means that diplomacy has become more uh, flexible and more adaptive, to these circumstances, and we have to move faster and react uh, quicker than ever before. Um, So, for instance, my work as a laptop diplomat in the northern part of Iraq, in the Kurdistan region, in Erbil, uh, fits fits also very much into this uh, flexibility. We saw there was an opportunity to to do something for especially Dutch business also in that part of Iraq, uh, and also from a political point of view, um, we didn't want to invest in a, in a building and all kinds of things so they said uh, why don't we send somebody with a laptop uh, to go there for two years as a pilot and discover whether it's really worthwhile to be there and it turned out to be uh, very worthwhile uh, not because of me so much but because of the circumstances and now we have a consulate general there um, so um, yeah world is changing and we have to
0: adapt yeah impressive thank you very much and and Um, I'm also uh, happy to hear that basically it's uh, quite exciting to work for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Let's move to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to your current position. You're currently the head of civil society and education at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Netherlands. Um, And according to the latest statistics, the Netherlands, being one of the smallest countries in the world, is the seventh largest donor country, spending more than $5.3 billion on official development aid, according to my source. why is the Netherlands investing so much in development aid? And perhaps also, how does that look like? Yes,
1: the development uh, assistance uh, in the Netherlands has, of course, uh, quite a long history. Um, it, ha- it stems from different uh, uh, objectives, different uh, reasons. Uh, first of all, it is uh, from an international solidarity point of view. Uh, also in our constitution, it says that we have to uh, assist uh, in um, creating an international uh, creating international order so there's also an obligation to do this um there's the international solidarity solidarity point of view Uh, you cannot close your eyes for challenges that other people in other parts of the world are facing we are very rich affluent country so we also have an obligation to help those that are in need Uh, but also from a point of um, of our own interest i mean we are not an isolated island somewhere in the ocean we are very much connected through our trade to our cultural relations to our people that are traveling all over the world. Um, And and, um, uh, we are part of a shared humanity that we want to uh, contribute to, to make that uh, a better place for for not only the Dutch people, but also others. Um, In the agenda of our current Minister for Development Corporation, Cooperation, International Trade Minister, Sigrid Kaag, um, we continue uh, on what was done in the former government, but with a specific uh, um, focus also on addressing root causes of poverty, of inequality, of conflict, and climate change. But also, um, uh, with our work for civil society, um, uh, we try to, to, to assist by amplifying their voices, voices of people that, that come up for their rights, um, of, uh, uh, within their uh, role as watchdogs, um, towards um, uh, keeping businesses and authorities uh, into uh, to account.
0: So let's, let's dive then perhaps in one of the most important instruments, right? Um, um, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is using in supporting uh, civil society organizations in, in, in order to keep, like you were saying, businesses and governments and other um, um, actors accountable. Um, let's move to the strategic partnerships, how it is named. Um, so since the Dutch government first engaged in international development aid, the relationship between the ministry of foreign affairs and civil society organizations has taken on many, many different forms. Um, from 2013 onwards, uh, the ministry saw a more political role for CSOs in reinforcing civil society dialogues between citizens, governments, and the private sector, like you were saying. So to this end, uh, the ministry of foreign affairs introduced the so-called strategic partnerships, right. To work mm-hmm. with civil society organizations, both, in the Netherlands, but in particular in, in the Global South. Um, why did the ministry decided to work with the strategic partnerships as, as an instrument? And perhaps also, I'm curious, what makes this particular instrument uh, different compared to, let's say, other countries, uh, other ministries in other countries and other grant systems?
1: yes well if you work on assisting uh, societies in, in 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 reaching the sustainable development goals that we all have uh, agreed to um, to achieve them um, you cannot ignore the role of civil society uh, you have to work with governments you have to work with uh, businesses um but you also have to work with civil society organizations because they are uh, uh, they play a key role in in um, in development processes um at the same time, it's not uh, up to us from a donor organization to say well, you have to do this and that. Um, you have to listen to to you have to take into account the context where you're working in, and and listen to to CSOs to those um, uh, entities uh, that are trying to 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 work those towards those Sustainable Development Goals in their own context. Uh, and as such, um, uh, we think as the Netherlands uh, that it is very that CSOs have a very important role to play. Um, I don't say that. Um, other countries do not uh, think the same way we have m- many like-minded countries as we call them sometimes that uh, do similar things um, uh, but if you talk about social transformation processes um, uh, and really making a difference to address those root causes that, that I was talking about uh, from different thematic areas from different sustainable development goals um, you have to give um, space for civil society And that's what we are doing. That's what we have been doing in the the former government. And that's what also Minister Kager is doing in her current um, uh, policy papers. Um, This does not uh, come about in a few years. We also have to be realistic. Social transformation processes um, need constant adaptation. Um, Things are not um, um, uh, so rigid. So you have to be able and also willing to adapt and be flexible and for many donor organizations it's quite a challenge to be so flexible uh, and, and adaptive to a changing circumstances. Um, so in that sense we are unique as the Netherlands. I talked to many of my colleagues from other uh, countries, from other donor organizations and they really um, yeah they really are inspired by what we are doing um, and we also try to inspire them by uh, um, telling about what we are doing and what kind of successes we have with this I'm hoping exactly, also that. Uh, what
0: what that exactly they will are take they it. inspired about?
1: Well, that we give so much uh, space for also um, not only dialogue with civil society organizations, but also dissent. We are open to dissent. We we, we like discussions with, with CSOs, also th- those that do not always agree with government policy. Uh, you can imagine that, for instance, uh, when you talk about um, um, a certain economic uh, development. Uh, Uh, programs where businesses are also uh, 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 involved Um, uh, where policy coherence as we call them in a term is is quite challenging sometimes where in the context you at one side try to help Dutch businesses at the same time you try to help um, human rights organizations or climate change uh, climate organizations sometimes that create tensions uh, uh, for a political organization that we are uh, but we are not afraid of that, and we are very happy that our ministers also were not afraid of such uh, uh, such discussions and such dialogues and such dissent. And we don't always have to agree. We also have to respect each other's roles in such a dialogue. Uh, but many countries, uh, yeah, are not seem not always so open to this kind of uh, dissent as a political institution.
0: Yeah. So basically, what you're saying it's 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 about the ministry being flexible, adaptive to the circumstances. Uh, to civil society, also providing space for uh, dialogue and dissent in order to establish a more equal partnership perhaps between the ministry as being the donor and the civil society as being the recipient, Um, 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 but still trying to explore ways on how to uh, work together, right, to achieve the sustainable development goals, like you're saying. Um, And
1: also also respecting the autonomy of, of civil society organizations, acknowledging that they have their own role to play, um, acknowledging that, that sometimes that is uh, a challenge for us um, and that sometimes we also uh, pointed at certain issues that we think, okay, we, sh- we see things differently. Uh, but being open to such discussions, being open to such uh, sometimes complicated uh, discussions um, is quite unique, apparently.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's talk, dive into um, uh, mm-hmm. the unique element. Uh, you were saying the dissent makes also uh, this system um um, uh, uh, very unique um i've been reading um um, the evaluations of the strategic partnerships of, of the last years and one of the conclusions of this um evaluation of the strategic partnership is that yes there was a lot of dialogue that's one of the strengths basically of the strategic partnerships however at the same time um there was not much dissent Although there was room for having dissent from civil society towards the ministry, uh, but this space was not filled in, was not used um, accordingly by civil society organizations. This made me curious. Why do you think um, 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 this was concluded? What is the reason for, not, for us as civil society organizations not being able or willing uh, to um, uh, dive into this space and actually have dissent towards the ministry?
1: Uh, Well, my experience is mostly at the the embassies during the Dialogue and descent program. So, for instance, when I was working in South Sudan uh, before coming back to the ministry, um, we also had several partnerships in South Sudan. And uh, we really had to facilitate discussions and and take initiative to bring these civil society organizations together that were part of this program. Whereas you would expect that they would reach out to us and try to to um, yeah, start debate and dialogue with us. When, once it started, uh, they were very open to, uh, open to it and we really could work uh, better together. But the initiative sometimes came, uh, uh, in my opinion, too much from the embassy, um, but maybe the other uh, side, I think sometimes organizations also uh, think that the doors, although we say the doors are very open um, at our embassies, that people still have the impression that the doors are, are not so open as they should be and, and maybe are a bit, yeah, have the idea that they are not welcome or anything. Um, um, and that is really much a pity because we, we try to, to achieve the same goals and we really need each other. So my experience in the, uh, at the embassy in South Sudan is that we, uh, we could have done much more um, uh, and at the same time in terms of um, flexibility also I think the ministry gave quite some flexibility whereas the international um, civil society organizations um, translated that flexibility less towards their uh, partners in the south and that was also a pity so even though we gave some flexibility not always this flexibility was used. Um, anyway let's not be too critical uh, I think we can uh, learn a lot there was a midterm evaluation and we have taken a lot of those lessons learned into our new uh, policy framework as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, so we will talk about the new policy framework in a few. Before, I would uh, also like to, um, to, to, to get more of the lessons learned uh, from this midterm evaluation and perhaps other evaluations which were conducted, uh, uh, looking at the strategic partnerships uh, that will end in 2020. So what have been some of the main lessons learned? next to the dissent um, um, uh, debate of course other lessons learned which uh, could have been uh, improved for example
1: um yeah what i uh, think is also one of the lessons learned is sometimes well that counts for maybe all of development cooperation that we are often, we start very ambitious uh, we want to change the whole world we want to help everybody and In the end, um, you can't because you have limited resources, you have limited capacity, uh, both at uh, the partners but also within our own ministry um, and at the embassies. So uh, a sense of realism uh, is also a lesson learned. Like, If you want to play uh, your role uh, within the partnership as a ministry of foreign affairs with your embassies uh, all over the world, you have to focus. You cannot help everybody and how uh, urgent sometimes Needs are, you have to have some kind of focus as the Netherlands because you cannot do everything uh, with the same quality. So, that is, I think, uh, an important um, lesson learned. Focus uh, uh, also in terms of, 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 of where you put your um, efforts, uh, in, in which countries and which regions. You can't do everything everywhere. Um, flexibility is, of course, always an issue. You have to deal, deal with accountability towards the parliament. Um, We cannot just um, give blank checks. Uh, Sometimes you want to do that, but you can't because you have to report back to the parliament on it. This is taxpayers' money, and our taxpayers want to know what what results have been achieved with this uh, with these funds. Uh, So we have to report on that. Um, And although I think we we are quite flexible uh, compared to other donors, there's still a minimum requirement in terms of reporting and uh, and accountability that we need to address. And I think also a thing that we, we have learned from, uh, from Dialogue and dissent is the value of uh, what we call then linking and learning events, sitting together, um, inspiring each other and learning from each other and giving each other feedback on what could work or what does not work or what are obstacles. And we will continue to do so in the, in the, within the new framework as well to, to maybe even more proactively uh, create a space for this kind of dialogue, for new ideas. Um, also when they are a bit more controversial
0: yeah I think you brought me on an idea actually as as we speak i think um um I always like these dialogues, and I think also having dialogues which are a little bit more cutting edge basically right offbeat and and trying to uh, uh be critical not only um, um towards ourselves but towards the system we are part of. I think these kind of dialogues will be very interesting to have also together with the ministry and perhaps organize some of the innovation dialogue uh, sessions together with uh, civil society and and the ministry to explore on basically not how we can uh, improve on the programs but how we can improve on the system uh, uh, we are part of the global system the development aid system Um, there's a
1: there's a lot of inequalities of course in the system uh, that we try to address and sometimes there's also a lot of blind spots that we are not aware of uh, and we need mirrors to to to, to tell us what, what is still uh, going wrong. Uh, I think the whole, uh, what you also see with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, trying to keep up this mirror, uh, and also discussions about about race and about uh, internalized structures that that foster inequalities, also in the in institutions, uh, not only within uh, uh, in ourselves, but also in the institutions that we are working for. Uh, for. Uh, and I think uh, I'm proud to work for an organization that is not,
0: closing doors for this kind of uh, more touchy subjects as well. So talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there is an increasingly louder call for the decolonization of aid. Um, It gives extra momentum to the shift to power movement, which I have been actively discussing in my previous podcast as well. Jeroen, you mentioned that the ministry is actively thinking about these topics. So what is the ministry's take on these important themes that are increasingly becoming important and also moving development aid more towards the global south yeah i think uh,
1: much less than maybe decades ago uh, i mean this top-down approach and then this is what you need and this is how we do it because uh, we have done it ourselves and this is the best thing for you to do Uh, that is really uh, less and less uh, the way to go forward because you will not achieve that's a bit old school still happens of course um uh, and sometimes there's also a pressure of time, and hey? you have to, to show results in a very short time framework. Um, but it all starts with listening and really, uh, for instance, I can give you an example. When I was working in Burundi years ago, and we were having a lot of programs, and we, of course, we were on, in the weekends, we would go out to people and we meet people uh, in cafes and restaurants, etc. And they say, oh, You have no idea, uh, you're driving around in these uh, big cars in Bujumbura, and uh, you have no idea what we're going through and what our real issues are. So, well, tell me. I'm sitting here with you, you tell me what to do. And then they started. We have business ideas, we want to start a company. I said, well, we have microfinance institutions, yeah, but you need collateral. Ah, okay. So these young people had very good ideas, were very smart people, but they couldn't make those ideas, their change really happen. So it's, we were doing something completely wrong. And then we started to engage with other donors, with USAID, and we started up a, a business incubator for such young people with good ideas. We created uh, a lot of companies through this uh, innovative idea that started by just simply listening to people they really needed instead of uh, proven concepts from other parts of the world, um, uh, sit down at a drawing paper uh, a drawing board with people who are really part uh, of your target group
0: that 's a great example and and um, looking at uh Uh, Your point, you're saying the listening elements, right? That's that's very important. That's also what I've realized. Um, And looking at the new strategic uh, uh, partnership framework, which has been developed for the next five years um, and will start in 2021, next year, a specific emphasis within this framework uh, was put on, uh, in particular, young people, um, but also shifting the power to the global south. Um, I was very much happy to see the framework Um, One of the requests from civil society, uh, from the Global South, was to have more influence, basically, in determining the framework of of the strategic uh, uh, partnership. So linking it back to uh, your point on listening, but also involving uh, the communities you are working for in in frameworks, um, this made me very curious, basically. To what extent have these actors, the young people or perhaps the civil society organizations from the global south also been engaged or in the development or in the selection of uh, of the new selected proposals? Um, yeah, what is your take on that?
1: Yeah, it is both directly and indirectly. I mean, uh, directly we have organized events where we invited not only Dutch uh, uh, civil society, but also uh, organizations and individuals from, from all over the world to think with us, to to share experience and to give input. Uh, Of course our embassies and the ministry itself on a daily basis has engagement with organizations and individuals worldwide uh, to share ideas, to understand better uh, the context that they are working in and to to give us feedback and ideas. Um, So this is part of our daily work basically. Um, And of course we have five years of experience with Dialogue and Descent where we can draw on our uh, conversations there uh, with, uh, with CSOs, with, with all kinds of groups, not only young people, but also uh, women, uh, LGBTI groups, uh, climate activists, uh, you name it. Um, um, so it's not, we, we, this is not made in an ivory tower.
0: And, and, and do you also let um, um, these communities, uh, the young people, perhaps, or civil society organizations from the Global South, um, do you also engage them in the selection procedures for the new proposals for the new strategic partnerships perhaps
1: um well as as such in the like in the um, uh, commit committees that were making selections there were relatively also some young people but uh, it's not as such a target group like any other target group that we said okay uh, we need those and those groups uh, in these assessment committees per se um, But what we do see is that we also under the leadership of our uh, ambassador for youth uh, employment, education and employment, um, we try to uh, engage uh, in the future much more uh, young people um, uh, in determining uh, uh, what direction part of a development cooperation should go because uh, it's their future and they should be involved. So um, uh, also there we are learning and we are trying to make concrete steps to to improve that uh, in the future, um, so you will hear more about uh, about how young people will, for instance, specifically young people will be involved in the future uh, within our development cooperation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being being a yeah. youth advocate, uh, or I have been a youth advocate myself, I think it's a, it's a great idea, definitely. I'm also very that, happy to hear yeah. that you're very open to uh, to to change and to explore other opportunities. So perhaps for the next round. Um, um, young people could be engaged more actively uh, or civil society organizations from the global south mm-hmm. um, diving into the strategic partnerships uh, which will be coming up in the next years um, so we might encounter some challenges uh, um, in terms of uh, perhaps how can we actually shift their power it has been made a very important topic um, how can we um, include uh, the communities we serve more in decision-making positions that's something we as the civil society are currently also thinking about on how they're structurally embed within the partnership and personally i think this could be one of the uh, biggest opportunities but at the same time also a learning experience for uh, us as civil society organizations to improve on because also um, um, civil society organizations can do better in giving more ownership to uh, to the local organizations we serve, um, another challenge we might experience, and this is something I would like to brainstorm with you about is related to um, the work i 'm doing currently for one of the strategic partnerships. I work um, on the development of an innovation strategy uh, for one of the partnerships is called the Love Alliance um, so innovation is all about flexibility right and flexibility uh, basically in budgets in targets, in objectives, that might change due to circumstances throughout the project, which is a, a multi-annual project of five years. Um, innovation is also about making mistakes, brilliant mistakes, preferably of course, uh, because you're testing things, new things, you're trying to change and, uh, things and challenge the status quo. Um, how can we uh, be more flexible uh, but also taking into account the point you have earlier made, which is totally valid, the accountability element towards the parliament, towards the Dutch citizens who are paying taxes. Uh, still, how can we find that balance, but also try to explore on how we can facilitate this flexibility within our strategic partnership with the ministry, uh, but also within our programs? Um, do you have any ideas on that? Um, and and yeah, how, how is the ministry going to support innovation and flexibility in the next five years?
1: Yes, well for, first of all, I think innovation has been a key element in the dialogue and dissent framework and will be continue, Will continue to be so in the next uh, framework as well because as I said before uh, Things might look at a certain way today But in two years time the world might have changed completely or the context that you're working in so in doing this kind of work on social transformation Needs flexibility. Otherwise, it doesn't work secondly within Contracts that we have with uh, uh, partnerships. There's always a certain level of flexibility possible. I mean just in, in Shifting uh, funds etc. There's co- of course limits to that. So we might have to look together whether we are able to to Enlarge that flexibility. That's not up to me personally as such But to do that we have to all together not only the ministry, but also very much civil society organizations um, to convince the Dutch public or the public at large uh, that the work that we are doing is worthwhile, and that the work that we are doing on this, uh, creating more civic space, uh, needs certain flexibility. Um, so we have an obligation to convince the the, the public and show uh, the results that we are achieving, and um, uh, and make them enthusiastic to give us more space to to do such. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's a bit uh, uh, ambitious, but uh, uh, that's the thing. So communication about what we are doing and what we are achieving is, is very much important. And I think, um, looking back at the last five years of dialogue and descent, um, we could do much better on that also. In, uh, in, in, in yeah. Communicating with our doing.
0: constituency. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. showing I think, that uh, it really works. And showing that it really works, yeah. Because there is, a, there is quite some pushback. Um, also looking at my own personal surroundings, um, always, I receive the question, yeah, but what, what are you actually doing? Uh, looking at all those years, um, what kind of impact have you made? Um, and I always feel that I need to defend myself. So, definitely, this is something uh, we can, uh, we can, we need to improve. And I think also, for example, PARTOS is doing great work on that in supporting positive communications uh, on, on development cooperation in, in our field. Um, but it is a shared responsibility, not only of PARTOS. It's it's also uh, the members of PARTOS, all the organizations, uh, together with the ministry in this case. Um, So the the point you were also saying in terms of flexibility, uh, that there is space, but there is also room to explore. I think this is also where then the element of dissent comes in, that also we as strategic partners of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs need to be... Um, honest and clear of where we would like to get more space or where we would like to have more flexibility but also have a good justification for it of course and a good argumentation and engage in a dialogue Uh, because sometimes um, we can achieve more impact if we have more time if we have more space for example or if we can uh, um, um, uh, uh, postpone certain elements of the project um
1: I think an example of that is what we have done when the when the current uh, COVID-19 crisis came up. A lot of organizations, also partly through PARTOS, have asked us for more flexibility. And we have, in a very short time, uh, created uh, a facility for organizations to shift part of their budgets towards uh, COVID-19-related uh, interventions. Um, of course, that uh, could also have been done better, maybe. Uh, but uh, it is an we have shown... It's an yeah. example of who, how quickly we could together uh, and shift things. Um, uh, so it, it is possible, but we have to keep each other, uh, uh, yeah, in the loop and and, and to, to know
0: account how to find well. each
1: other quickly. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's a great uh, example, It's an example of, of 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 how we need to work more uh, um, and create more of these examples. Do at the same time,
1: something? I mean, yeah, no, uh, for two things as. Uh, you were talking about changing dip, uh, how diplomacy is changing i mean communicating about what we are doing uh, is be, has become much more important in the last uh, decade and uh, also diplomats i mean the fact that i'm doing this uh, podcast with you is also an example how we are able as, as diplomats our ministry of foreign affairs uh, uh, personnel to communicate about what we are doing uh, because it's very impor- important and we want to to show that what we are doing uh, often works and it is it's relevant um But the large part of the public is not always aware about what we are doing. So we also feel and we get space uh, to take this responsibility to show what we are doing.
0: So thinking about disrupting development, uh, innovating development, doing things differently. What is your personal ambition to do differently within and with the ministry uh, for the next years?
1: Yes. Um, Well, certain things. I mean... um, I work with a fantastic team, with very uh, uh, ambitious and hard-working people. And I think if you know how much work it costs to, to set up such a framework, it's really impressive, especially under the circumstances of a, uh, a COVID-19 pandemic that we have uh, made possible to start this in the 1st of January 2021. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Um, at the same time, this is a new framework, sometimes with same partners like the former framework, but also new partners. Uh, What I personally find very important is to be open and to create space for dialogue. So we will regularly facilitate meetings that we come together with the partners uh, so that they can reach out to us and we can reach out to them. Um, um, uh, So that's important. Um, And then we can also organize this around certain uh, topics that we all find important. Uh, uh, And we can explore those topics together, but really coming together and create space to, to face each other and also um, exchange and also talk about innovat- new innovative approaches that we can learn from each other, uh, that we can learn from. Um, secondly, uh, I find the involvement of our embassies very important in this programme. If you are a partner in such a programme, you cannot just be a, a financing entity. We are a diplomatic institution. If you only want funding, you can also go to the Postcode Lottery or to other donor organisations we can do much more and I think um, although we also have to be honest about our capacity limitations um, uh, playing our role as a diplomatic entity um, through all the layers of our organization within the partnerships I find very important, very important. and for that it means that in the Hague but also at our embassies we have to open our doors much more for the partnerships the embassies also have to be aware of all the partnerships um, but I already see a, an enormous enthusiastic movement that is started, has started already, where embassies and, and organizations um, come together to discuss um, uh, about the, the future programming. And what I also thirdly find very important is this um, uh, southern uh, ownership ship. It has all kinds of dimensions. It's it's very simple to say such a thing, but in practice you come uh, uh, you you face all kinds of obstacles. Um, uh, but uh, we we take this seriously. You already see an enormous shift in the new uh, program of the number of organizations from the south that are involved. Um, uh, I personally would have liked to see a bit more organizations as lead uh, uh, partners also. But again, change takes time, but we are making huge steps forward. Um, And I know that our minister also finds this very important, and it's good to see that this is happening. but it has to continue uh, to, to, to be explored further. And then we talk about um, what is very important is uh, unique selling points of each entity in the partnership. The ministry, the international CSOs, and uh, the southern uh, uh, local organizations that are part of this partnership.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Jeroen, for these uh, great final words. Um, great to have you on this podcast. Also great to have the ministry on this podcast, explaining a little bit on the history and the objectives Um, and why it is so important to invest in development aid uh, through different um, um, structures but in particular also investing in civil society both the international ones and the local ones like you mentioned very happy to engage on the partnership um, uh, to engage in dialogue but also to engage in dissent thank you very much and let's keep in touch
1: thank you for the opportunity again thank you